This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Bright lights, big city, and your name up on a marquee. Now, many of us have only dreamed about being in a West End musical or a Hollywood movie or being on The Tonight Show. It's a Sunday Kind of Love by Maya Tan. Now, on today's show, I have someone who's done all of the above and is here to tell us all about the blood, sweat, and tears that he's had to go through to get there. Someone who's also very special to me. Please say hello to Sean Gazi. Hi, that's sweet. Thank you. Well, welcome back. Thanks. You've been away for quite a while. I've been away for six years. Mm. But I, you know, I, I came back like every year for gigs and things, you know, like maybe once or twice a year. Tell us about what you were doing. What I was doing. I was scratching an itch. Um, you know, I've worked in the UK, I've worked in Europe, um, but I hadn't really worked in, in the United States and I wanted to, to get that under my belt. Um, so initially, I, I spent three years in LA. In Los Angeles, and then um, I moved from there. I got out of the desert and went to the rain, and moved to Portland, Oregon. Portland, Oregon. Yes. And your choice was because of. Well, I needed to get out of a big, unfriendly city like LA and and head to somewhere much friendlier. And and um, Portland seemed to be it. And also, I was working quite closely with um, the folks from Pink Martini, and they're based in Portland, so it kind of. Of course, uh, they yeah. feature on your album as well. Yeah, I covered one of their songs on my album and through that agreement I got to meet them and um, uh, they were really cool about getting me to sort of guest with them uh, as and when, you know, in, in the States. And in fact, just last week I performed with them in Singapore at the Esplanade. Wow. Which is fun. Yeah. Very nice. Tell me more about what happened in Portland. Well, it was just um, it was kind of like a loose sort of mentoring kind of situation. I was working on more music. Um, and um, whenever the, the opportunity came, uh, I, I got to guest with them. I went on tour with them uh, through a few cities in the U.S. Uh, this was back in 2011. Um, that culminated in uh, an appearance on the Jay Leno show. That was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, uh, back when I first moved to the States, uh, back in 2009, I actually uh, performed with them at the Hollywood Bowl. Uh, several years ago, there was a, we received an inquiry uh, and from a, a, a man in Malaysia who, had, who was a huge star there in Kuala Lumpur, and uh, uh, he wanted permission to record Let's Never Stop Falling in Love in Malay. And so it was amazing to to hear this incredible version. And he uh, surprised us and has actually moved just recently uh, this last summer to the United States and to Los Angeles. And uh, so this is actually his first appearance to an American audience. Please welcome Sean Ghazi. Thank 
sang the song as a duet. Uh, it's initially originally a solo, but um, I sang it with China forms, and she sings it in English, and I sing it in in Bahasa. Mm-hmm. So that's nice. Yes, and the track that you covered from Pink Martini is called Ku Impikan Bintang. Ku Impikan Bintang in, in Malay and uh, English it's Let's Never Stop Falling In Love. You were telling me a little bit about how you wanted to get out of the big bad city that was <laughs> LA. Yeah, LA is weird. Really? Um, it's really big. Part of the problem is that it's, it's huge, it's massive. There's no center. There's no. There is supposedly a downtown. It's called downtown, but there really isn't a downtown. So it's this sprawling uh, metropolis and you spend a lot of time in traffic and that makes people grumpy <laughs> you know mm-hmm. um, so well, I we spend a lot of time in traffic but it's different there somehow it's different uh, I don't know how to explain it but I think it's the distance we're not that big KL's not that big you know in terms of if comparing it to Los Angeles it just goes on and on and on Ventura Boulevard is like Ventura Boulevard forever <laughs> um, and I, I used to say that you can only do two things a day in LA, because it's you, like going to KLA and it's back, going to Stramban to the bank, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then you got a meeting in Ipoh, <laughs> right? Okay, but I'm wow. exaggerating, but it, it, that's what it felt like. Um, so there's a lot of time on the road, and um, you can, you know, you you have one appointment in the morning, and then you have one in the afternoon, and a lot of actors would like they would have a a trunk full of like costume changes. One of the weird things about auditioning in in uh, America is that you actually have to turn up looking like the character, which is so very un-British, right? Having sort of started my career in in the UK where you go to an audition, people have an imagination and they Mm -hmm. can see you as a a young doctor or whatever it is. But um, what I found in the States is that more and more people were turning up at these auditions in full like, you know, doctors, coats, and sometimes got at a school. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, double so, in the detail. Yeah, it really, because they don't have time to, you know, to imagine. They they've just got, oh, he's a guy. Yeah, he looks like a doctor. Hire him. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So trunks full of costumes. Mm. But that also helps because you know I remember having a, this conversation with you, and you said, you know what, it could be spring in mm. one part of LA, and then like an hour later, it's like winter. No la, not like winter. <laughs> okay, or like the dead <laughs> no, of no, summer. No, no, that's more like that's more like the Bay Area. It's more like San Francisco, where it's like you better have everything in your bag, you know, bayong, raincoat, you know, whatever, because <laughs> like you could leave summer and it could be like cold on the way home. So, yeah, but okay. no, but but um, LA is beautiful weather. That was one of the advantages of of being there. The bluest skies. Tell us more about the auditioning process, and you know what that sort of um, whole. LA actor culture is like? It's unlike anywhere else I've worked. It's very different to London. Uh, it's very different to anywhere I've worked in in, in Europe, you know, where um, it's a bit more straightforward. In London, you get a you get representation, you get an agent, and they get the breakdowns, and you're sent out, and it's very, very democratic. It's very kind of, you know, orderly, and if you, if you seem... Um, a good candidate for the role, then you're shortlisted. And then that's, you know, it's kind of like A, B, C, D. But in LA, there's a whole kind of weird hierarchical thing that you have to play even before you get an agent. You know, and there's A-list agents, and then there's B-list agents, and there's these really small boutique agencies. You know, so um, oftentimes people think, oh, I'm going to get into a, you know, an A-list agency. But then they're all too busy, you know, representing the Angelina Jolies of the world, and you're going to be left in the on the bottom rung of the filing cabinet, you know, so you don't really get the kind of representation you 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 think you you need. Um, so it might be better for you to go into a, a sort of middling, middle-sized agency or even one of these boutique agencies and and be um, one of the f- one of the few that that, that they represent. 
Mm-hmm. And then, then uh, that's one side of the story. The other side of the story is um, race and um, being Asian in, in that big bad world and what Asian means to, to Hollywood. Yeah, you know? there's this culture of with agents, with casting directors. Definitely. There's this <laughs> thing called the go-to group. Like, yeah. so, you know, go-to black person or go-to Asian person and they'll have, you know, the same faces. And yeah, that's why you exactly. see the same faces appearing. And um, what's weird is that um, it's all very sort of, um, because I'm mixed, they had no idea where to, where to put me, which which pigeonhole to, to put this Sean Gazi fella. You know, so I was often um, sent up for Hispanic roles, right? And so I would turn up at these auditions, and there's me, and then there's like 17 Hispanic Sean Gazis. (laughs) 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 Jose Gazi, Juan Carlos Gazi, right? (laughs) And um, they, you know, they they look the part, and they are Hispanic, so naturally they'd get the role, and, you know, so I would just use it as a sort of a... An acting masterclass just to just to, to hey practice. I can do Hispanic yeah but then it's silly because um, they don't really know the sort of Malaysian the Malaysian the M- Malay face you know mm-hmm. so a few years ago I seemed to be able to get roles kind of like you know Vietnamese bole you know a little, little bit of makeup can um, Thai roles yeah a little bit of makeup and a wig can mm-hmm. but right now the culture has swung from being what was initially ethnically vague or unidentifiably ethnic um, that was vogue a few years ago right now it's become very very specific so if the role calls for um, a half Korean half African American character they want you to be half Korean half half black mm-hmm. you know it's about specificity and so someone like me loses out, you know, so because I used to play that sort of generic game a little bit. I can squeeze myself into different shoes. Now I'm kind of losing out because it's all about being specific because they might get canard from one group, you know, who who suddenly think, oh, well, that's wrong that you've employed a Malaysian actor to play a Thai role. Right. Someone you know? would have a problem, the union or something. There's sort. always people having problems, right. <laughs> having <laughs> issues. Having issues. Yeah. But you've seen some film success. You were in the movie The King and I with Jodie Foster and Chow Yun-Fat. Yeah. Um, technically, it was called Anna and the King. I'm sorry. The King and I is the musical. Anna and the King. But yeah, I'm confusing <laughs> it because you were also yeah, in the uh, musical. Yeah, it is, it is. And it's easily confused because um, The King and I still... You know, the Yule Brynner version is still so iconic in everyone's minds. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I was in Anne and the King. That was with Jodie Foster and, and Uncle Fatty, as we used to call him, Chow Yun-Fat, um, who's a complete sweetheart. He's just the best guy to work with. He's the hottest Uncle Fatty I've ever <laughs> known. He's ripped, man. That guy is, like, ripped. Have you seen him in some... I, I saw a trailer or something. That guy, I don't know what he's doing. And he's probably close to 60 right now. Yeah, that's right. He's looking good. Looking good, looking good. All the Hong Kong actors who are approaching 60 are looking really good. That's right. Ripped. <laughs> snatched. <laughs> <laughs> but also, while you were out there, you did a movie. A Jonathan Graff movie. That's right. I, um... It was a David Sedaris piece of writing that was adapted for the screen for the first time. This young director, uh, Kyle Patrick Alvarez, he actually um, hounded David Sedaris and said, look, I've written the screenplay to one of your stories. Um, it, the movie is called COG. It actually premiered, I think, at Sundance a year or so ago. And it's now an Astro. <laughs> I get calls in the middle of the night, like, hey, Abang Sean, is that you? Good. Have you opened your heart up to Jesus? I'm talking about the Lord. I think that religion is meant for people who aren't smart enough to understand how the world really works. The Bible says. I know what the Bible says. Well, then what's your problem? It's poorly written. 
Hey, Mom. I'm going off the radar for a while. Please don't try to reach me, and don't try to say you're sorry. It's my first day in a factory. You're going too slow! So have any of you ever been to Japan? I studied it for a year back at Yale. What's the Japanese word for blow hard? <laughs> it must be hard in a place like this. They resent anybody with a brain. <laughs> See, OG guys, look out for it on Astro. <laughs> so yeah, that was filmed in in the in the Portland region, and it's about it's one of David's stories from uh, his collection Naked, and it's a, it deals with him sort of deciding to leave his life as an Ivy League student and be a, a farmhand uh, on an apple orchard in in Oregon. And so I just play one of these characters that he encounters on the way. Mm -hmm. What was the audition process like? Pretty cool. This was one of the nicer auditions where you go in to read one role and the director goes, wait a minute, can you take five minutes and, and come back and read for this role? You know, so the, the initial role um, was kind of like a, a two-liner and then I managed to get a, a bigger part, one of the little success stories. Any stories from the filming process? No, that was pretty straightforward. Um, it was nice to um, to work with Jonathan Groff. Uh, he had a leading role on Broadway, and I think he was nominated for a Tony. I'm not sure which musical. I think it might be uh, Spring Awakening. I could be wrong. And he's also been on Glee. And so he loved the fact that I was a, a, a music bunny and an a ex-musical theater guy. And we're like, OK, hey, Sean, what can we sing? What can we sing? I can harmonize. You know, so uh, so like, in, in, in the green room or whatever, we'd be like, okay, uh, let's sing this. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> shy, shy, sounds shy. like a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. And I got to meet um, the new Spock, Zach Quinto, who came and just hung out for a day. And I was like, ooh, starstruck. <laughs> <laughs> and was it vastly different from filming Anna and the King? Oh, yeah, totally. Anna and the King was was a huge that was an eight, epic at the, production. At the time, it was, it was, eight, um, it was 80 million, I think, um, USD. Uh, production budget and it was the biggest outdoor set um, since Cleopatra now this is all pre um, Hobbit pre you know uh, all the Peter Jackson movies so uh, that was pretty pretty big deal and it, the biggest outdoor set in Ipoh okay don't play play and <laughs> in Penang um, and you know, that was a that was quite a long contract for all of us um, Malaysian actors and it was yeah it was a completely different experience We'll be right back with more conversations with Sean Ghazi, especially what it's like being on Jay Leno and also oh. about um, the wedding of the century. <laughs> In the meantime, this is Smalam, the title track of Sean's album also named Smalam. <laughs> a sunny kind of love continues in just a bit on BFM 89.9. Smalam, hanya Smalam Kenangan memanggil-manggil Pulanglah sayang padaku Ku ingin mengubah hati yang rindu
It's a Sunday kind of love. I'm Maya Tan. If you've just tuned in, I'm here with Sean Ghazi, who's taking us through his entire journey as an actor, as a musician. Oh my goodness, an entire journey. That would take forever. (laughs) Okay, well, you're just back from the United States. Uh, You've been there six years pursuing a career in acting and in music. Um, Scratching an itch. (laughs) Scratching an itch. You were telling me a little bit about how you had to set up all the the technicalities, you know, the registering with SAG and so on. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that, um, you know, to, to appear on a film, depending on what kind of film it is, you have to be um, the union, you know. So it, it takes, it's a bit of a catch-22. It takes quite a while to get your SAG eligibility. And it's, the funny thing is, I was in L.A. for about six months, and I just happened to do a test recording for a, a commercial uh, that was going to be for the Malaysian and Indonesian market. And so they were looking for someone to do this test in Malay. And bing, bang, boom, someone said, well, I know a guy who's from Malaysia. And so I, I, I got my SAG eligibility by doing a test commercial. Wow. Yeah. And it was just a test, so they weren't even using it. You know? So I was like, score. Right. I just wanted to backtrack a little bit to talk mm-hmm. about that whole Jay Leno experience. Oh, right. Okay. It was uh, one of the Christmas specials for Jay Leno. Actually, it's called The Tonight Show, right? That was before Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. Yeah, this is pre Fallon. Uh, and had just been on tour with Pink Martini. And they invited Pink Martini to do one of their their holiday songs, one of their Christmas songs. So I sang back up on the Jay Leno show for Pink Martini. And the song was Santa Baby. So so you've been through all that green room, the hair and makeup, and then the, the coming out. Did you get to meet Jay before? We did, we did. And he's very, it's all very business as usual. And, you know, hey, you're from Malaysia, shake hands. Oh, cool. Nice cars. You know, it's like just you know, very <laughs> business as usual. And what was fun, though, that day was to see how he rehearsed. He has to have all, I'm not giving his secrets away, he has to have all his lines on cue cards. And there's one guy, it's one guy's job to write out these these cue cards and to flip them, you know, um, in front of him. And uh, what I really liked about his process was he kept looking to us in the in the audience, you know, like, hey, does that work? Is that funny? Did you like that? Shall I kill it or keep it? And we'd be like, oh, keep it. No, not funny. So um, it was fun to see that process. Quite old school, eh? writing cards and... Yeah, you'd think they'd be all teleprompted up. Teleprompted up. Maybe Fallon is, but uh, this was this was Jay's process. Wow, yeah. it would have been fun to do Fallon as well. I just don't know how yeah, he yeah. does all his... Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, yeah. His, uh, did you see the, the Helen Mirren on Helium episode? Where do you keep your Academy Award? I keep my Academy Award uh, on the stairs, actually, in my house in London, halfway up the stairs. <laughs> No, I love Jimmy Fallon. And of course, just a couple of weeks ago, um, you were involved in the biggest wedding or the most talked about one in Malaysia. I actually had to sign an NDA. So I'm not so sure whether that, that's valid anymore. But um, yeah, I actually had to sign a non-disclosure agreement. Well, the, the, the pictures are out. What did you sing? I sang Ku Impikan Bintang. I sang uh, a Michael Bublé song. 
And then a lovely duet with Stephanie Van Driesen. Um, she was on last week. Yeah, was she? Oh, hi, Steph. And, uh, and then we had to sing a Motown medley, which was by special request of, of the Prime Minister and his wife. Mm, um, Completely not my genre, but... But fun to do, but nevertheless, fun to do. And Motown. <laughs> I'll be there, stand by me. Sugar pie, honey pie. Oh, I love that one. <laughs> which is actually our Prime Minister's favorite song. Oh, really? Yeah, so we were able to dedicate that to him. I heard there was a Pavarotti song that was uh, the Prime Minister and his wife's yes, song, that, like their song. That was sung by Peter, and, uh, Peter Ong and Stephanie. Save my love. Is uh-huh. it save? save my love, my darling. Save my love. Save your love, my darling. Save your love. What I'm loving about this conversation, Sean, is that I'm getting the real picture of what it's like to go out there and to live your dreams. You know, there are lots of people here, many of us here, who have stars in our eyes. We want to be YouTube stars. We want to cut albums. And, and many of us are doing this, right? Um, there are lots of people who are just putting their music out there, mm-hmm. putting it out on iTunes mm-hmm. and just doing it, yeah. just doing it. There's but lots of different ways to, ways to do it and it's changed so much since when I did it, you know. Exactly. And so it's really interesting to hear how you went through all the processes and to know, you know, the stars whom we love, what they went through mm-hmm. as well. All those auditions, you know, Angelina Jolie would have gone to auditions mm-hmm. like that. And now I'd like to talk more about the West End side of okay. things. Fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how did that all begin for you? The West End stuff. My God, I was young and brave. I was 21 or 22. I just left college in in London. Well, just south of London in Epsom in Surrey. Uh, three years of what I refer to as going to the army. It was really like, for me, it was like going to the army. It was like you're up at six, you're in ballet at seven, and you don't stop until like 10 o'clock at night crawling home, bruised, battered, and just completely exhausted. And you probably only ate like one snicker bar the whole day, I, you were saying. No word of a lie, it's going to be in my book. I would have one snicker bar for breakfast, and maybe, if I had the money, a McMuffin or something from McDonald's for a late lunch. Yeah, serious. <laughs> it was it was the snicker bar days. And I had a few, <laughs> a few of my um, contemporaries who could work as well as go to college, and a lot of them had jobs in restaurants. And uh, one of my good friends uh, would slip me out a piece of pizza from Pastaficios if I walked by th- the back door. Okay, Sean, give, give us a minute. <laughs> Here you go, mate. <laughs> Jason, oh I remember Jason Parmenta used to, used to slip me out a, a, a pizza, a slice of pizza. And then you were telling me about how you would queue up at six in the morning for auditions in the rain. Yeah, cattle, cattle calls. I would. Um, the weird thing is that I didn't have the right papers to work in in London at the time. And so I would just use these, these auditions as kind of masterclass um, situations for myself. And I would just challenge myself. I was like, okay, I can't work anyway. If I get the job, I have to turn it down. So why don't we just try and get it? and see how far I go. And I would challenge myself, because these are long, long-ass procedures. They're long. You know, you're, you're there at dawn, you sign in, and then you have to do, um, it's really a cattle call where they put you in groups and then you do these the dance auditions, the dance aspect. And then that's normally up to lunch. And they will let you know before lunch if you've made the cut. And if you made the cut, then you have to come back to sing. And that's normally after lunch, right? So you have to bring a change of baju and you get out of your sweaty dance gear and then you put on your slightly more lawar um, singer clothes, mm-hmm. preferably to sort of um, give a hint of what the character might be wearing. It's not like the US where you have to wear your doctor's coat. You just like, you know, 
suggest the character. And then so you have lunch and then you come back in the afternoon to um, to sing. And then around tea time, around 4, 3.34, you might get an, another cut where, okay, you've, you've made the singer's audition, you made the singer cut, now they want to see everything. So you have to sort of get back in your dance gear and do everything. And it's no, at that time, it's, it's cool because you've been through the whole day with these people and you've sort of, um, hopefully you've struck up some sort of uh, rapport, relationship with, with the, the team, choreographer and the musical director. And everyone's just willing you to, to do well. They're really on your side. So by the evening, it's just, you let it all hang out. It's chops or I'm cut. Mm-hmm. You know, so but because I knew, well, I can't get the job anyway. I would just go all out, and I would challenge myself and say, okay, at five, it's going to be me and the other guy. It's going to be between me and the other guy. It was really cool because at some point, I'd be able to tell the other the other guy, dude, it's going to be you. It's going to be you because I, I'm on a student visa. It's not going to happen. And you'd see this guy face like, oh, you're the best man. <laughs> That's yeah. history in the making. I'd love to see a movie made about you and all these moments. Oh, you know? well, I, I'm going to write a book. I'm definitely going to, mm. you know, I'm approaching a, a, mile, a milestone birthday. And um, I think I'm going to, I want to write a, a book and, and have all these stories in them. That's a brilliant idea. That's a brilliant idea. And then maybe the book can be made into a musical. And then maybe we can have the movie <laughs> musical. But I can't star as my, as my young self, though. That's the. No, you can. <laughs> you can. You so can. I've known you all these years and you have not changed one bit. Smoke and mirrors. Smoke and mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> right. So what led to uh, the parts in Rent in uh, the, the King and I? Um, okay, so in, uh, the, the first big job in the West End was Miss Saigon. And I had an advantage because I was Asian. And at that point, they were just so desperate. Any kind of, of Asian, you know, slightly Asian also again, like like 95% British, 5% Asian, bole, maso. <laughs> and they had, they had at the time, um, they called it the Miss Saigon School, where they, they auditioned people. And if there wasn't a part available for you, they would throw you into the school. And it was like free classes every week, like on Wednesday night, where they would like, train you to dance and sing. And I was a, I was also like, attitude like, ah, I've just been through three years of college, I don't need training. <laughs> Did you like my vocal fry? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Tell us about the vocal fry. Uh, vocal fry, that's, that's the term given to this new way of, of, of talking, popularized by the likes of the Kardashians, where um, they, they take it really low and like let the voice kind of just do that <laughs> growly thing. And you know, like, yeah, that's called a vocal fry. It's because very, it's very bad for you. Yes, because you fry your voice yeah, it's that the way. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know why we brought that up because we, we were talking about it earlier. The, the, the vocal fry, how teenagers speak today. <laughs> yes. So back to uh, Miss Saigon School. So I was I was thrown into the school, and they would train you, and they would do group numbers, and it was fun because it was sort of like a free class. Um, so I would go every Wednesday night. And do you know who my Miss Saigon school mate was? Karen Mark. Karen Mark. Karen Mark yes, and I went, big Hong Kong superstar. Yeah, we would just go and like take this free class and like have a cappuccino and just like, okay, see you next week. Cool, right? Yes. <laughs> you now she's Karen Mark. <laughs> <laughs> you should go to Hong Kong and just do some concerts yeah. with her. I saw her. She actually, funny, um, all the, the sort of, world's meeting she actually did rent a few years ago in singapore and i and i sort of waited like a groupie backstage like karen do you remember me in miss saigon school and she did <laughs> she did of course she did but she had to like get rushed off in her limo so 
Bye. Mm. Bye, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> and then? Um, so I was in the school, and then every you know cast change, they would have an audition. And um, I actually got into Miss Saigon as a swing um, and a, an acro cover, because I could do a little bit of acrobatics. And um, they want they got me to swing and to be the one of the acro covers. Now a swing is kind of like a reserve. You have to learn X number of roles, and you don't you don't have a track every night. You 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 basically cover, you know. So I will know at the half hour call. Okay, so uh, Unku is not here today. He's sick, so you have to cover Unku, right? And then that's on an easy night. On difficult nights, uh, Unku, Jay, and June are all off. So you have to do combination tracks of these three actors you know so you have to know all their harmonies all their stage directions all their choreography um, and any important business that they might have that furthers the story along so you have to pick and choose what you know you have to, to sort of make your own three-in-one track wow yeah. one role is hard enough as yeah. it is but that's that was a great way for me to learn the whole show and to really focus yeah focus and just to you know, attitude and diva fits aside, just like I, I have a job to do. I need to make sure that I, I give Chris his lighter. I give Kim the gun. Otherwise, there's not going to be an A, you know. Mm -hmm. So all the important stuff has to be has to be looked after, as well as having to sing harmonies and, and choosing. remember the choreography. Remember the choreography. And the and, lyrics. And, and also to, to choose, okay, out of these three roles, which harmony is the, is should I prioritize? Which, which which piece of business should I prioritize? It, you know, so it's completely up to you. You just have to make sure that Kim gets the gun or, or the melody of um, a certain song um, is, is heard. Excellent training ground, excellent training ground, you know, to just leave attitude behind and just get the job done. Very British, I love that. How does that contrast with working on musicals here in Malaysia? You did Piranli the musical. Hmm. Huge contrast. We don't really have a, a, a history of musical theatre. It's 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 very new, mm -hmm. still. It's not institutionalized, it's not institutionalized in, to that level. And also, you know, when you work in, in uh, abroad, especially in, in in cities like London or New York uh, or LA, there are all these union rules, and there's a certain way that things get done, and there's a certain way that things don't get done. Um, here we don't have, you know, so it's kind of a quite shotgun. I find here that a lot of a lot of the time it's a bit it's a lot cart before the horse, so. You know, whereas there's a there's an order of doing things like you have to learn the music before you do the choreography, before you do a dress rehearsal. Here, it's, sometimes it's back to front. You do the chore, and then you learn the music. You might not get a dress rehearsal. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we've been yeah, there. Yeah, lucky, lucky if you get a dress rehearsal. The dress rehearsal might be preview Still night. Tech. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, tech. Yeah, tech. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a lack of discipline and structure, structure in that sense. It's anything goes. And also, because it's kind of new to us, there are also a lot of constraints in terms of resources, in terms of, you know, the wealth and breadth of um, sure. people, Scalability directors. Too. You know, um, these productions in London are open-ended. You know, they can run from a week to, you know, 10 years. So the scalability of of, of funds of, of demand mm -hmm. for your show whereas here at maximum I don't know what what is a long run in, in KL two weeks max three weeks yeah. I think we did P. Ramley for like it was like a scattered schedule over three weeks mm -hmm. you know and that's a lot of work and a lot of money to invest in just three weeks so you don't really get the return 
And part of it is also the audience, mm-hmm. the lack of the audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Singapore does slightly better than us because, well, a lot better than us because of the, the amount of people that come through. And they've also got their whole marketing sewn up, our Singaporean friends. So Miss Saigon was your first? That was the first. I then worked in Germany in Miss Saigon as well, completely auf Deutsch in German. Um, that was a trip, but a great way to learn a language. You know, they just they just got us in early, especially with the Asians. They thought that they thought the Asians were going to have a harder time than the Brits and the Americans. Wrong. The Asians were were better at, at the German language. Mm. Yeah. In fact, there's a lot of similarities between German and Bahasa. It was like, oh, you know. that's because English is just a complete enigma. You know, <laughs> they 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 always rag on the French, but you know, it's the same. Yeah. <laughs> So we got in early and we would do like a month of just phonetics where we had to learn how to pronounce and how to read German, especially with the umlauts and all that sort of stuff. And the, the very difficult sound for anyone who's not German is the ICH, the ich sound. You know, so we had to find tricks in English like, oh, you say Hugh Grant and you say ich Hugh Grant and that's your ich. <laughs> so, you know, so we learned it phonetically um, and then musically and then we would put it on its feet. And one day, I think you said you were there and you got a call to perform in New York. Oh, that was when I did Rent. Mm-hmm. I was I did the the German production of Rent. It was touring. It went from Dusseldorf to Berlin, and all over. Um, and we were in Berlin at the moment at that time. And I got a call on Monday night, and the the company manager said, uh, "Sean, it's um, it's so and so from the New York office." And I was like, "Okay." And so, you know, the producer in New York had called me. I was covering the role of Angel, with a beautiful role, the role of the young drag queen. And so I'd, I wasn't on every night and, um, as Angel. I was covering it, um, covering AKA understudy. And um, so, th- so the producer in New York goes, hey, Sean, this is uh, Jeff. Uh, do you know Angel in English? And of course, when a producer calls from New York saying, do you know Angel in English? Even like, if you don't, you even, say yes. Even if you don't, yeah, it's showbiz. Even if, <laughs> even if you don't, you say yes. Can you juggle? Say yes. Can you do the spit? Say yes. Can you just say yes? Get in the door. That's the, the motto, right? And so I was like, yeah, great. You're on in London tomorrow for the week. <laughs> I was like, "Holy moly!" I mean, I knew the I knew the the big numbers. I knew I knew the angel solos in English, but I didn't know the, all the incidental stuff. And so I had a 22-hour process where I had my I had castmates come home with me. One was given a job like a U pack. When someone else was given a job to like pack my costumes. There was there was basically what they called an angel emergency. 
both the, the, the main cast person, Angel, was sick in London, and so were all the understudies. So there were, two, there were normally about two understudies per role. So first and second cover, all the mum. Right, and so they had to send someone on who was completely not right for it, and then <laughs> it's kind of like, okay, where's the nearest angel that we could dispatch? And Dusseldorf, <laughs> Dusseldorf, <laughs> like it's a radar, right? We have <laughs> there is an angel in Germany, and um, so they sent me. I had to take two flights from um, Berlin to London. I got at stage door in London. The, the dance captain, kind of stage resident director person, said to me, "Okay, Sean, you're gonna have a coffee." with me right now. We're just going to talk nonsense. And then at 4.45, boom, let's do it. So I had like an hour and a bit to basically run through the whole show in English and put it put it in my system, put it in my body, you know. The Because you might just burst out in, in German, in, right? Well, yeah. So I had, um, it was a combination of I had to hafal everything overnight and learn all the stuff. But but some of the incidentals, I, I couldn't learn. So I had little bits of, like in the movies, I had little bits of lyric taped to props, taped to the side of the staircase, taped to the ladder, like just little bits to remind me. Like it was like, yeah, yeah, um, read my sleeve. <laughs> Um, and uh, I just decided, okay, you know what? I'm just going to take this scene by scene. I can't do the whole. I can't see the whole, the big picture. I can't see the whole show. I'm just going to take it scene by scene. And when I, an angel dies early in the show, so when I finally died, I was like, Hallelujah, I'm dead. <laughs> I'm so dead. <laughs> But it was great though because, um, <laughs> you know, when when someone gets flown in from Germany to save the day, it's not met with the best of. Um, It's not met graciously. It's kind of like all the all the divas in the room, like, oh, who's this German yeah, angel? Yeah, who's this German angel? Vocal fry. Vocal, Vocal fry. fry. <laughs> I was just going <laughs> to say that. And um, for my solo, and the and angel solo is today for you, tomorrow for me. It's like a rap and a dance number. Everyone who was not on st on stage at, the, at that moment came into the wings. All the ushers came into the house. I could see the doors open and see everyone coming, sitting on the steps, and like, okay, I've got two choices here. I can fail. Or I can bring it, girl. <laughs> And I had to bring her. <laughs> Today for you, tomorrow for me. Today for you, tomorrow for me. And you should hear her beat. You earned this on the street? It was my lucky day today on Avenue A. And so I did. So um, I just sort of like, okay, right, you better watch. You better learn. Vocal pride. <laughs> I love it. There's going to be a chapter in my book, I think. It was like immediately I was accepted. Oh, you're one of us now. Mm. Yeah. We didn't think you were. We didn't think you were cool, but now you are. It's like kindergarten, isn't it? It's like really like kindergarten. It's kindergarten yeah. everywhere you go. <laughs> yeah, that's true. In any top I don't frame you. moments, oh Your favorite moment out of all of this oh West God, End like, madness. West, the West End madness? 
Oh, okay, that's got to be a favorite moment. Saving the angel emergency has got to be one of the, like, wow, I pulled it off. Another moment, same show, but opening night of um, Rent in Dusseldorf. And uh, Jonathan Larson, who wrote Rent, actually, he, he, he passed away suddenly before even seeing opening night in New York. And every uh, production that they do around the world, his parents go, they fly to each show, and they give a little card and a, and a rose to each performer saying how, you know, we'd rather have our son, but this is his legacy, and we appreciate that you're part of it. And so when I saw this mom and dad, like, come on stage, just normal folk in, like, sala clothes, that matching, just, like, so unshowbiz, so unglam, and they, 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 they gave this little speech, and I just lost the plot. I was like, oh, my God, this is, I, I had to, like, find a moment. Like, I went behind the stage and just cried. I was like, I was a mess. Just like, wow, so special. This is all history. It's, history. it's all yes. part of my, my, it's a preview of my book. Um, <laughs> another moment, a great moment, was meeting Judy, Judy Dench backstage uh, at a, a, a charity show that we did in London at the Lyceum Theatre. The show was called Hey, Mr. Producer. And um, she had just won the Oscar for Shakespeare in Love. And she had just come back. And so she was like, wow, cool. And I'm standing next to her, Judy Dench, okay. <gasps> I was like, okay, Dame do I? Judy that? Dench. Dame, do I say hello? Do I just like, you know, and I felt, oh, not so dracoon. And then I finally plucked up the courage and I said, no, um, Dame Judy, just want to say congratulations. And what was it like? And she was so close to me. She was like, oh, darling, it was tacky as fudge. <laughs> the gold, these are her words, you know, the gold stops right there. And that wow. was the Oscars. Mm. I was like, oh, I can't take picture. <laughs> <laughs> We'll be right back with more from Sean Gazi. Highs and lows coming up next. This is a Sunday kind of love by Maya Tan, BFM 89.9. Sunday kind of love. Welcome back. Sean Ghazi is in the Thank studio you. with Bye. us. And uh, we've been going through some of the really historical moments in his career. It's um, funny that you say historical because for me it's just like, there's just moments. It's like, okay, is anyone going to find this interesting? Uh, excuse know? me, do people like me and anyone out there have moments like these in their lives? No. Hmm. Vocal fry. <laughs> fry the vocal. <laughs> Going it to swear. Yeah. <laughs> well, you were telling me at lunch about the dichotomy. Mm. You know, there are high points and there are low points mm. in all of this, right? I, f- I find that fascinating. That the the fabric uh, from which you weave as a as a career. You know, um, oftentimes we think, oh, that was a low point. Oh, that sucked. I don't want to repeat that. But you know, for every low point, there are X number of high points. And it, I like knowing that. Okay, here I am, seventeen thousand people, Hollywood Bowl, standing ovation that the next job might be somewhere else. No one paying any attention, right? Bad sound, bad lighting, terrible situations. Uh, you know, that the, the, the next job might, might not be as sweet. 
you know, but and so I, th I think I, I, I'm, I'm learning that this is, this is what makes a career, the good and the bad. You know how we were talking earlier about how a lot of today's people have had jump starts in their careers, mm. you know, they win American Idol or Malaysian Idol or whatever, they, mm. and they get that jump start. And that's kind of like not really how things happen, you know. Um, I'm really old school, and I'm like, you know, I, I believe that you need to put in the, the hours, you need to you need to work at it. You know, Malcolm Gladwell said it takes at least 10,000 hours to become an expert. And I, I believe that, you know, you've got to practice your piano when you come home from school, you've got to practice. You know, the the, the fly-by-night kind of overnight success situation is rare, very, very, very rare. It's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, don't be delusional. And you had this experience with the X Factor with as X Factor, well. yes. I, I auditioned for X Factor in, in L.A. I, what was that like? Um, people don't see the pre-auditions. You, you know, what you see on TV is like you have to get through so many screenings. So for me, I, I queued up. At uh, sorry, you don't say queue in America. You say line. I I was in line at uh, six a.m. on Saturday morning. I didn't get to sing until Sunday night around ten p.m. <gasps> right. That's forty-eight hours. Yeah, you. I got to go home, but you have to wait and wait and wait and wait. And so what they do is they fill up a stadium. If you can imagine the whole stadium filled, and it just sort of peels. So like the bottom row will go, in. and there's like several tents, and you go and audition for ju very junior producers, who by the time Sunday night comes around, have had enough of you and your tricks and your singing and you're wanting to be Mariah. And um, I was nixed. But I, by having to wait 48 hours, I'd lost my mojo. And I was like, oh, whatever, I'm just going to go home. That <laughs> 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 so at that point. I was oh like, oh, my you know, goodness. Forget it. <laughs> oh, dear. So what did you sing? I sang, oh, my God, I don't know. But she just, she, she just wasn't having me. She was just like, I'm sorry. It's a no. Vocal fry, vocal fry. Like, really? Yeah. After 48 hours? Yeah. She just didn't know who you were. She just, uh, well, I didn't know who I was at that point. I was just like, whatever. I go well, home. yeah, anyone, yeah. anyone, right? You just lose your mojo. And you know, what was funny is like, because you get to witness er everyone auditioning because you're sitting in a stadium so you can look down and see what, who, who are going in these tents and who come out with golden tickets. And it was the, f the freak shows. It was the circus acts that were getting all these tickets. It was the, uh, uh, I'm 104 and, I, and I'm a juggling Grandma, or I'm a you know I have a I pole dance. Oh, I pole dance, or I'm an Elvis impersonator. All those people, all the, all all those people that would make the spectacles, spectacle that would make good TV, mm -hmm. were given the tickets and the well, good in inverted commas. <laughs> good TV, vocal fry. Vocal fry. <laughs> 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 I want to have a segment called the vocal fry on this on this. I'd be happy to start that segment for you. Oh, vocal fry. Vocal fry. <laughs> <laughs> Future plans. Future plans, more music. I've actually d been developing some music. Yeah, hopefully later this year, single or singles. People don't do albums anymore, <laughs> apparently. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. they, they do the EP every EP, now and then. Yeah, every now and then. So yeah, something along those lines. Mm -hmm. yeah. You've been working on music in Portland, you say? In Portland, yeah. Sort of under the mentorship of, of uh, Pink Martini. And I actually, um, funnily enough, uh, recorded um, a theme song for a movie that's coming out soon hopefully a Malaysian, <laughs> a Malaysian movie. movie and I had some Pink Martini musicians play on that and it featured myself and um, another Malaysian singer Lisa Hanim but that that's what I enjoy I enjoy these these disparate worlds coming together you know a little bit of Bahasa some history some P. Ramli international musicians um, international venues I, I love that you're telling me about what a, a surreal experience it was singing Malay or singing P. Ramli mm -hmm. in a huge stadium full of non-Malaysians. Yeah. What was well, that Well, that's like? been a dream of mine. I've always thought that some of his music should be uh, um, should be up there. 
you know, uh, alongside some of these these Western classics, you know, like the the Frank Sinatra songbook, you know, like a song like Guitar and Jiwa should be up there, mm. you know. And so that's my little that's my little thing. I've I've been championing that, and I hope to do more of it, you know. Um, and and because we're we're kind of unrepresented or underrepresented out there, you know. There's a lot of there's a lot of um, f- Filipino. There's a lot of Thai, but Malaysia is still kind of like a bit of a mystery. So when they're like, oh. That's an interesting language, but you know, and so represent us, kid. <laughs> and so, this new music that you worked on—is um, mm. it pretty much along the lines of the Samalam album, or are there new sounds that you're exploring? A, a few new—it's still sort of that sort of genre, um, which I I like doing, and I you have to sing what you like, sing what you love. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. And but I've I experimented with uh, different arrangements and different instrumentation. Some of it is a little bit more uh, funky, more rancher, you know sort of moving from the 60s into the 70s. <laughs> oh, I can't yeah. wait. <laughs> well, here's a snippet of uh, the Spilt Gravy theme song. Oh, yeah. Kemana tumpahnya kuah Kalau tidak ke atas nasi Kemana jatuhnya buah Tak jauh dari pohon jati Mengenang suara si manja Tangisan dan juga ketawa Dan dengan sekelip mata Anak kecil telah dewasa Dimana perginya masa Menghilang begitu saja Well, it's been a real pleasure having you here Thank in the you. studio telling Likewise. me all your stories. We could do this all day. Yes, we could really do this all day. But some people might be <laughs> enough already. Is there a song that we can make a nice musical exit with? Oh, I don't know. Your choice, your choice. You know how you were saying songs like Guitar and Jiwa mm. should really be up there in the... International songbook. Yeah, in the yeah. international songbook. Mm. So this is your rendition. Of Guitar and Jiwa, yes, and it features a beautiful arrangement by Vivian Chua. When we tackled this song, I said to her, look, this is national property. we got to treat it well. And uh, I think she did. Ladies and gentlemen, Sean Gazi, if you have not been a fan, you definitely are now, right? Oh, right? Vocal right? fry, vocal fry, vocal fry. <laughs> See you next week. Sunday Kind of Love by Maya Tan, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.